Well, good morning. It's, uh, as I said before, very good to see you. I'd like to uh, start and finish this with some words from John's Gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That verse we used on Saturday night or Sunday morning early with a very distressed man, and I was trying to calm him down on the streets of Bath and calm him down with some continuous words of prayer and reassurance, and I paused, and one of my colleagues said that one verse, and after probably 20 minutes of real distress, that one verse reached that man at that moment, and he calmed down. And so it was amazing to hear the power of the Word of God. I was given this talk this morning, and with it, our dear friend Mark gave me three and a half chapters to read to you this morning. You'd be glad to hear I decided not to read all three and a half chapters, although Diane was quite upset about that because she'd been practicing those three chapters for the previous. But the thing is, this is an amazing story we're reflecting on, and I really felt that I wanted to focus on one part of it, and the story is so well known. Indeed, I've got some pictures for the next service for all age, just about the sea being divided and people walking through. But I'd like to talk this morning about this whole passage, the Exodus, in relation to the words we've chosen today to read, but just earthing it in our own human experience, but particularly looking at what was happening then in that era and what it tells us about now this present era. So if you like, I want to look at the actions and events then, which are part of the folklore, the tradition of our faith, but then say, well, how does it work now here today for us? So the events of the Exodus probably occurred about 1446 BC. That date is worked out from the uh, reference in Kings to it being 480 years before the fourth year of Solomon's reign. Now, there is some debate about that date inevitably, but on balance, it's around then. (laughs) So 1,400 years ago, should we say, before Christ. And the thing is, this story, isn't it, is very well known. It's probably one of the most well-known of the Old Testament stories. And there may be debate about exactly where it happened. But it is known that there was a passage of peoples in that time. It was a time of great turbulence in Egypt, of violence, of great sinfulness and social migrations. So let's now look at some aspects of the story which we know about and then the passage we heard First of all, uh, the first is time scale. And now the length of time the Israelite people lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, to the very day, all the Lord's divisions left Egypt because the Lord kept his vigil. It just occurred to me that this morning that we are today a very immediate people, aren't we? And that was a very long time in the history of those people, maybe 12 or 15 generations And as we know, Joseph and his wonderful coat started off very well, but once that king died, then the the Israelite people were under great turmoil and hardship, probably for many generations. So a very long time, but all would be well in the end for those people. God's time scale is different to ours. Second, then, in that exodus, who is included and we heard in the main part of Rand's reading, we, may, we heard about the restrictions in that time, the Old Testament era. Restrictions probably because they had to at that time define themselves as a group, 
amongst many groups, perhaps migrating, socially moving around. They had to define themselves, and of course circumcision was the covenant at that time given to define those people. But we heard here really some quite stark rules about who would be included in the Passover. And those words are difficult for us to hear. I was watching some of your faces, and there were certainly some furrowed brows as Diane was reading those words. It's difficult, isn't it? A foreigner residing you among you who wants to celebrate the Lord's Passover must have all the males in his household circumcised. Can you imagine that? So it was quite interesting, isn't it, to hear this famous story, but then to see how the word imposes those restrictions at those time to define God's people. Thirdly, the nature of the miraculous. What happened? Well, the scripture says that 600,000 men went through. And presumably there were an equivalent number of women and presumably children. So we could say, what are we going to say, two million? I don't know, something like that. So a large number of people. And we've also also heard, haven't we, that they, they plundered the Egyptians. The Lord made the Egyptians favorable to them. So as they prepared to leave... They asked their neighbors for bits of silver and gold and whatever, and animals, I presume. And so the Israelites left Egypt, taking a large part of the wealth of Egypt with them, according to our scripture. And we heard then, don't we, that the angel goes with them, with a pillar ahead of them, either a cloud at day or fire at night. And we hear this fantastic migration. Then we hear the crossing of the Red Sea, this amazing defeat of the Egyptian army. Moses puts his hand up and the sea divides. It's an amazing story. We have seen nothing like it in our time. At least I haven't. And it is an extraordinary miracle, isn't it, in the folklore of that time. Fourthly, we hear the call to remember this day. And there are two amazing facts about that if we look at the Old Testament era. The first is this idea to consecrate your firstborn in your whole family, in memory of this day, the idea that there's such a sort of celebration in the uh, behavior of the people remembering this day. I love this phrase that the young people will say in a few generations, what does this mean? This amazing thing, this amazing gift that we have, and well, we need to do this now. Come back to that in a moment. But behaviors of tradition, which means that new people come in and say, so why are you doing this? And we can then say... Or as those people in the Old Testament then said, they lived through the Passover, their greatest exodus. But of course, the other aspect of that command that Moses gives, or God gives Moses to give to us, to remember it, is that the Old Testament history of God's people, the Jewish people, is one of great humanity because they didn't do that, did they? And it's interesting to listen and watch and read about the relationship that the Old Testament people have with their God, which is a real yo-yo. If you read the book of Kings, just read the start of each king, or the conclusion actually of each king's reign in the book of Kings, it says either the kings walked in the way of the Lord or were very sinful in the eyes of the Lord. And so we have this picture in the Old Testament of them being asked to do this, but then how humankind so easily forget. They appear to have a different relationship with God than we have and understand through Jesus Christ. So we've just talked about four aspects. The time scale, God's time scale, who is included, 
the miraculous, this command to remember the day, and two more aspects of the passage we read, though, was the need to be thankful. And how the purpose of that command to remember is so that people could pause and be thankful. How good are we when things get better from the trough in which we may have found ourselves? How good are we at pausing and stopping and saying, Lord, thank you. Maybe you are good, I'm not. And it's very good to actually have this command to say, let's just pause. Because when you pause, very often you see God in a different way. Here we have this. Then the final word of the six issues I want to draw out is this fantastic picture of God's vigil. Again, right at the start of the passage that Diane read. Because the Lord kept a vigil that night to bring them out of Egypt, on this night all the Israelites are to keep vigil to honor the Lord for the generations to come. And this is the idea that we actually remember and give thanks because the Lord that night was keeping vigil. I love the word vigil. I apply it a lot in my work in the hospice. This word of vigil where vigil is a time of uncertain duration of watchfulness. And in the hospice you'd say to families, you are keeping watch with the person you love. They say, how long? And I would say, I don't know. But the word vigil is a beautiful word. And for me here, this is the word that struck out as I looked at the passage to read this morning. This fantastic salvation for God's people, God's chosen people. And the Lord was keeping vigil in every aspect. The rules of the Passover. The protection of his people. The angel traveling with them the pillar of cloud by day and fire by night and all that. The idea that God, our God, keeps vigil is fantastic. So just to conclude, really, how does that time then build our faith now? How do we think of those things we've talked about? Well, those same six issues. First, time scale. It says to us that we can take the long view. We are a very immediate generation. Our children are much worse. (laughs) They want to go to a shop and get something now. You can buy it on Amazon. Don't need to go. And if you're lucky, you buy it on Amazon. It comes the next day. Isn't that good? Or maybe the same day if you're early enough. Fantastic. I'll stay and wait for the post, we think. If the post is late, you're grumpy. We are a very immediate generation, and here we have a reminder. In God's plan for humankind, God's time scale is his time scale. Lord, why haven't you answered my prayer yet? I'm going to in my time, the Lord might say to us, would say to us, will say to us, does say to us. But the thing is that we have a very immediate time, and it's good to hear this, 430 years in God's time scale. The second major issue, major difference between the Old Testament era then and now is the question, who is redeemed? Because unlike the restrictions that we heard about in our reading, now everyone, everyone, every single person in Jesus Christ's name is redeemed. Every single person, the people we like, 
the people we might not get on quite so well with. People of different color. I sometimes think our world leaders need to hear that. It's an amazing fact that we have a faith which Jesus says is now to be taken to the ends of the world. I had an observation recently that said we're almost complete in that. Not quite. But if you look at how the Lord uses technology and mobile telephones and all that stuff, then the gospel is reaching to every part of the world. So what about the miraculous, the third issue? I said before that we have seen nothing like the crossing of the Red Sea in our time. But we have Jesus Christ. And we, we, <coughs> me. And we pause and reflect that it wasn't 600,000 men or 2 million overall. In Jesus Christ's name, millions, millions upon millions have believed in him. That surely is miraculous, isn't it? We have the moving of the Holy Spirit. That's the miraculous. We have the confidence to be able to pray to our God knowing he listens. That's the miraculous. So in our era, the time scale is still God's. Everyone is now redeemed. We see in Jesus Christ a far, far greater miracle than the Red Sea dividing. And we are surely called to remember, tell each other. The value of testimony now in today's era is that when people say, what does this mean? Why do you have the hope that you have? We can tell them. And we tell them by story as much as by theory. All scripture. They're all important. And finally, we can pause and give thanks. And if we really are profoundly deep in our faith, which we all are when we can be, we can pause and give thanks in all circumstances. In Jesus Christ's name. And then finally, we have a God who does keep vigil for us. Wherever we are, whatever our circumstance, The Lord keeps vigil.